Good morning. Hello, anyone there? Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hello, Ernie. Hey, David. We did it. Hello, hello. Wow. Oh, it sounds like you've had a very intense non-retirement last year. Yeah, hold on, hold on. I, I, to give you an idea um, um, of how, how distracted I am, I, I was listening to the wrong earbuds. I had my, my work laptop earbuds plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> the, fact, the very fact that you have two sets of earbuds to manage tells me even more. <laughs> and, Hello. Uh, morning, I, I Ernest. Think... Hey, Ernest. How are you? Hello, Ernest. I invited our friend David Gleason to join us. He is part of hey, the Ernest. Earlier. Hey, how yeah. are you doing? You may want to call us Bruce and Prabhakar just so you can keep straight because, uh, or you can call him Ernest and me Ernie because uh, yeah, three works. people on this call, it could get very confusing. Uh, just to bring you up to speed, um, you know, Ernest and I have been having discussions about civilization and entrepreneurship and fixing democracy and reinventing humanity and so forth for a while. And we got kind of stalled on what to do next. And then some friends of mine at NPR have this podcast called ZigZag, which is all about trying to align your personal values with your professional career. And they started a thing called the ZigZag Project, which was a six-week series where people uh, sort of get in touch with who they are and try to figure out what they can do next to make that into a reality. Nice. So uh, Ernest and I decided to uh, use that to walk him through because he's got lots of great ideas, but has been struggling to get traction around how to get it off the ground. And yes. we're on episode three of the ZigZag Project. Does that sound about right? Uh, the first one, we talked about your feelings. Um, and the second thing we talked about having a vision of where you'd be in five years around both being able to live out your values of being humane in an embedded community where you're enjoying life and nature and relationships, but also contributing to some meaningful work for advancing this larger social good. And uh, that brings us to this week. Got it. That sounds fascinating. So, Bruce, do you want to talk about this week's assignment from the ZigZag Project? Yes. Uh, this week's was the uh, making a list, uh, taking 15 minutes to make a, a list of uh, weird ideas. Um, so I did that. It was, um, and I stick to the 15 minutes. Um, so I had like, but uh, a few ideas like. Five or six. Um, and, and I try to stay out of technology, but I couldn't. You know, they all center on using technology to help people. So, do you want me to list to give you a, a gist of the ideas that I have? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Okay, first is uh, based on Tony Stark um, having a ultra smart and powerful agent um, that you can access from any device. But I guess this is not an idea, but like a concept that I've applied. 
but you can really access from any device, um, even on those that you do not own, but whose owners uh, gave you permission to use. It's like a floating agent that is always with you. You drive or whatever. The car is a, it's a computer in the car, so you can have the same agent instead of having to say, okay, Google or okay, Honda or whatever. You just say, you know, your your agent's name and, and you get help. And based on the same idea, an agent that can represent more than one person. So it could represent a couple or a family and it can make, um, it will serve like a digital assistance to a whole group of people, not just one person. The instead of and this, if, is the is, is the the motivation for this in trying to create a um, something more sort of open source and personalized rather than corporate controlled as a gateway for accessing the world's information. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And uh, I should uh, preface this by saying that I, with all these ideas, I always have a goal. Then the goal is to um, colonize the solar system and other star systems. That's what I always aimed at. So my ideas are based on that, on multiple uh, communities and societies spread out, not just the one that we have in, in the world. Uh, instead of competing, Organizations always, uh, or should always, uh, uh, seek out to cooperate on solving a cohort's problems. So instead of you know like what we do now uh, in the fire market, and then analyze the competition and see how you can you know uh, outsmart them, now we just uh, talk to them and say, hey, how can we better serve? these uh, people or these entities together so that they get good service. So that, that's a change from our capitalistic model. Uh, contact Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, or uh, maybe even Mel Melinda Gates for funding, because they might have uh, motivations to uh, help uh, make maybe more McKinsey to help make uh, companies like Amazon a little bit less uh, relevant than what they are now. Uh, get vaping data on my devices, so I vape a lot, so maybe I want to do, uh, so I might want to figure out how many puffs I take a day or, you know, something like that. That is information that is in my vaping, my vaping thing, but that I cannot share with uh, other devices. And a smart document editor and publishing system that produces deep documents. Right now, what we have is, you know, you write a document, and uh, maybe you use a, a you invent a word or or use a, a term not consistent with the general uh, usage, and you want that document to be able to say, hey, this is the meaning that this word has in here. Something that is uh, very deep. Like what we have now is it just uh, close like a piece of paper, and then uh, you can have embed links and things, and you can have books. But I want a, a real smart document that can really teach readers what the concept is behind the documents. 
So it this makes it, you know, the writer has to. David, Ernest, anyone there? Yeah, I'm I'm Hello? here. Ernest, Ernest dropped. Ernest dropped. Ah, okay. Well, he will notice. Uh, yeah. I have a tendency you're, you're, to your audio... drop off. I soliloquize. <laughs> your audio is a little a little scratchy, Ernie. Yeah, interesting. So we will. Uh... I'm, I'll, I'll be right back. I'm yeah. just gonna. I'm gonna close the close the window. Hold on. I'll be right back. No problem. I guess this is a good time for me to slow and slide so we don't have dead air for our listeners. Oh. Okay. And Mr. Sorry Bass, about that. Go. Yeah. Okay. So Please. I was. I left out my document thing. So. Yeah. So the idea uh, is that rather than the human having to manually annotate and fill in background context. There's some sort of smart document editor that can, you know, either pre-insert links or dynamically understand the reader's context and fill in the pieces that they would need to be able to get the information they need. That writer has to put more information in there, uh, but that will make the reader's experience better and more predictable and more consistent. That way, people don't misunderstand. The information they we have we suffer from that a lot. Wow, and those are the ideas. Concept. Yeah, reader-centric mm -hmm. uh, documents rather than writer-centric documents. Correct. Yep. That's fascinating. Okay. Well, cool. anything mm -hmm. else? No, that's, that's those were all the ideas that I had in that 15 minutes. That's great, and you're certainly allowed to, you know, go back and add more later. But I think it's good to have mm -hmm. the, the baseline, and you know, a couple of things that that came out uh, just for David's benefit. One thing we talked a lot about in our first season was this idea of status games and how to shift our culture. Pro-social status games. Ernie, you're kind of breaking up, effect. Ernie. You're, you're, you're breaking up a bit. How about this? Is this better? Yeah, that's better. Interesting. Okay, maybe my AirPods is the problem. So the idea is to move us, uh, our culture, or create a new culture that's built around pro-social, positive-sum status games rather than the uh, often socially destructive zero-sum status games that... Uh, uh, modern financial capitalism seems inevitably to encourage. So that's one of the themes that we keep coming back to. Um, so anyway, so this is good. And the, the, the kind of the process that ZigZag goes through is, you know, first going through this crazy brainstorming. And then I think the next phase is we talk about different constraints, um, you know, real or imagined that we labor under and then trying to figure out how to find a path forward, uh, you know, marrying that. So I, that's one thing I really like about the zigzag is there's kind of like the um, alternating between different mindsets to have different perspectives and then figuring out how to merge them together. Mm -hmm. Good. Have you recorded the voice memo for them yet? 
No, I, I owe you two, so I, I will send those to you today. Okay, that's great. That's part of the way they do the exact project, uh, David. Is that you? They, they, uh, um, the, the, the host, uh, Manuj uh, Zamarati, uh, she always uh, asks people to record a voice memo uh, in kind of your response and reactions to the episode. Sometimes it's a homework assignment, and I've done a bunch of those, uh, and they ended up using me. Uh, quite a bit to the point where we actually built a relationship and we've connected on LinkedIn and exchanged a few emails and they even used one of my uh, rants as the intro for an episode on their podcast. Uh, nice. So, was... so this is really, this is, so you share, you share your individual uh, events with a, with a broader community and then people review them or. Well, so so they did they, the original Zigzag project was they did like a sort of a private beta through the TED uh, Radio Hour, I think. Uh -huh. She got a few people to do this sort of via yeah, sort of a small closed group, and they you know had a very intensive feedback loop, and then she did it as a six-week series on her podcast, and each week she would give out the assignment. People would uh, do a, a survey. I think if you use the newsletter or a voice memo, if you use the podcast. And then they would take selections from those reactions and play them back to give you a sense for what other people are feeling, what other people are imagining. And I love this sort of cohort-based learning, right, where you get to not just hear what the teacher thinks, but you get to see how all these other people are implementing and interpreting those questions. I think you may have heard about this, David, I don't know, is that a lot of people are talking about cohort-based learning is, in fact, kind of the next wave of education. Because everyone was doing all these massively online courses. And MOOCs, yeah, I know really, about MOOCs. Right, and the thing about that is that it's very anonymous. Yes. And so what they discovered is that what people really learn is if you have a small cohort, you know, 6, 50, 150, something like that, of people who are going on the same journey with you at roughly the same time, because then it creates this sense of community and belonging and camaraderie. And that's what really tends to maximize learning when you're part of a learning community, not just learning on your own. You know, I'll just jump in here and say that at Anthem, uh, Ernest, I'm, I'm working at Anthem in their AI group, and um, I've been there now for just over a year, working with a bunch of ex-Apple people. And one of the things that Anthem, this is a huge company with, you know, 50,000 or 100,000 employees. They, they now have wow. a reading, they're starting a reading group. And the, mm. first book, the first book they're reading is on bias. Especially bias oh, wow. in technology. And, and it's, it's mm. interesting because as a, as a, you know, a data-driven company, Bias is a huge issue. It's a huge problem, and and what I what I find intriguing is that it's it's sort of like any you know twelve step program. The first the first challenge is to admit you have a problem. <laughs> so the <laughs> fact that they admit they mm -hmm. have this problem, and and now they want the whole company to participate in in this uh, conversation, I think is is a good sign. It, it doesn't resolve anything yet, but it's it's just what you were saying, Ernie. It's a, it's a cohort based examination, and it's very inward looking, which I I think is great. Yeah, there's a, what, uh, probably the best uh, book title I've heard in the last decade is "Weapons of Mass Destruction." It was kind of the, uh, the, the one of the uh, a researcher published a book about biases and algorithms. And I Say it again. Was what was it? Weapons of Mass M A T H destruction. No. Oh, math destruction. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't Warren Buffett have something like that? He he called the derivatives. Weapons of mass destruction, but he had a, he had a he it was a play yeah. on words. He said something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Math is okay. I could talk about that for the next hour. 
<laughs> I'm working with a bunch of data scientists who are brilliant. But as one guy put it, he mm. said, it's just math. It's just math. And the problem is, it's just math, meaning that they're coming up with all these different um, algorithms, which are really powerful. But all they can do is tell you, you know, oh, you're using the wrong mix of, of medications. Try this mix instead. And, and it doesn't get to the heart of the problem, which has to do with, you know, the social determinants of health and personal behavior. And anyway, it's so it's 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 a very it's a very germane topic for me. Yeah, it's actually something yeah. I'm dealing with in my um, I'm advising a, a startup in the data space. And we've had some really intense conversations over the last couple of weeks, partly because they're facing a marketing crisis. They have a really great tool, but they don't know how to talk about it in an actionable way to uh customers other than a very laborious one-on-one -on -one discovery process so they have to go from sales to marketing but uh the types of companies they're trying to help are exactly facing the same problem my company is facing now and we don't have good language to talk about the problems we're having um and that was kind of one of the insights from a seth godin rant i heard uh about a million dollar words he goes a million dollar word name of a book he wrote is words that once you know that there's a category, it changes the way you think about things. And I realized we didn't have a good language for talking about things we don't have language for. And so we've been playing with this term dysphasia, which is like a brain disorder, yes. where you can see an object and you can describe it, but you cannot name it. Yes. And I realized that pretty much every problem I have uh, tends to be these things where, well, sometimes I don't even have a concept. But once I have the concept and coming up with the name for it, and then uh, to your point about reader-centric documentation, Ernest, is that if I pick a word that means something to me, it can mean the exact opposite to somebody else and generate mm -hmm. all this conflict. I had that exact same conflict with my therapist uh, when I first met him. I use the word entrepreneur to mean someone who consciously redesigns their business model to match their values. And he heard that as someone who is greedy and motivated by profit and enslaved to a business mm -hmm. model. And so we had this big conflict where like, uh, we couldn't get past the fact that this word had a strong emotional resonance with both of us, but in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. can, I, can I jump in here and, and, and just make things even more confusing? Do you know sure. why we use the word entrepreneur, which is French? Do you know why we use that word? And this is my theory. No. Because what's the translation into English? Undertaker. <laughs> Undertaker. It is. It is. Mm. One, one who undertakes. Yes. Andre means mm. to take in French. And so the, so, I, so I, how I does undertaker this because, come to mean uh, mortician? Yes, yes. And that's mm -hmm. the reason we use the French. I mean, this is all in my mind. I have no validation except I learned this when I was reading, because I, I read German, and the word for, for uh, undertaker, no, the word for entrepreneur in German is Unternehmer, which is literally undertaker. And I went, wait a minute, mm. you can't translate that into English out of German. Oh, wait a minute, you can't translate it into English. Out of... No wonder we use the French word. So talk oh, about so, confusion. So, so, so actually, go back to me. The German word is Unternehmer. Yeah. So, but that implies that the word naming is somehow in there. No, it's not. It's not naming. It's naming. Naming means to take. No. Okay. So, hmm. Oh, like, like, is that, is nom probably is the closest that's... English cognate? Like, the uh, monster, nom, nom, nom. The, the, word, the word for the word for, for name in, in German is Nama, N-A-M-E. It's the same, same as English, just pronounced it. Okay, but, but you said the word Namen to take. The, name any N-E-H-M-E-N, N-E-H-M-E-N. Is there any English cognates of that word? 
Take. Well, the tectonic means a word that sounds similar. Oh, 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 yeah, probably in Chaucer, there's something like uh, uh, there's something like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I have to think about it. And, I mean, the know, word nom, like where, where I, I don't know where like to eat, like Cookie Monster noms cookies. I wonder if yeah. that's related to Nahaman. You, you know, one of the great things about uh, Quora, you know, the website Quora, is that they yeah. have all these links. I've, I've I, I uh, subscribe to one of their uh, channels that talks about the, the linguist, the origins of um, Indo-European words. And I'm sure I'll tell you, I'll find it and I'll send it to you. I'll find out what the what the origin is. Because yeah. I subscribed in English and German and so I find and, and, and Russian. So I'm finding all sorts of fascinating because <laughs> anyway, that's that's a side topic. But but the whole uh, under <laughs> I get tripped up. I, I want to say undertaker. Uh, entrepreneur is is a word fraught with with uh, contradictory meanings. That's exactly mm. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah because you undertake, undertake, you undertake an endeavor, right? In English, yeah. you can say that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but for some but, reason, the word undertaker got associated with mortician. Yes, yes. And, yeah. and, and I guess pro there's a pro wrestling character called the Undertaker, isn't there? Um, uh, like a guy with a hood. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I heard that name just because I hear it. Uh, uh, people in other, like there's a Christian musician who people say, he looks like the Undertaker, and maybe it is because you know the Undertaker wears a mask. You don't know who it is. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, it's a, and there's um, there's a wrestling connection, right? There's this Undertaker yeah, that's what I mean. uh, wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Um, if we let me go back a little bit with David's uh, work now uh, with AI um, issue with how it's been. Uh, <laughs> undertaken um <laughs> uh, yeah my uh main problem with uh the current models is that we use uh yeah like i said math to try to mimic the workings of the uh, human mind the human brain and uh that's why we get these things that can do stuff can identify a cat or a dog or a person but they cannot tell you why they cannot tell you uh why they make that decision it's just like a black box so before i think that uh, regular people can use those things confidently we have to come up with ways of these uh, uh ai systems to explain themselves you know like a, a judge uh, yeah i decided this because this and whatever right but an ai system can tell you you oh this is my decision and that's it because it's just a bunch of formulas that you know fit out a decision but we have to work i think we have to work towards uh uh environment where an ai system whatever we call that can tell you i make the decision because of this and that and those rules and and, and or or this perception that i have and that's why i did it so that we can interoperate with ai systems better than what we have right now. We have uh, things that spit out, oh, error or whatever. I couldn't do it or I, or it made the wrong decision and we get into problems. So we have to trust the systems by them being able to express themselves. No, just like, similar to the smart documenting, uh, technology has to be more human for people to be able to trust them and use those systems. So Ernest, you... you, you... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Ernie. 
But yeah, so this, this is a theme that we, that's been coming up in my discussions around this. We call it zombie data. And mm -hmm. I originally used the sense in which like it's a data spreadsheet that's cut off from the live data of where it came from and who generated it or whatever. But I think it also mm -hmm. fits into your sense in, uh, in the terms of it's mindless data, right? It has no consciousness. It has no relationships. It is not capable of growing or evolving and changing. It's just this literally brain dead data that wanders around, you know, kind of just chewing up everything in its path. And mm. literally, I see that happen in meetings where people will bring in some zombie data and then, like, they'll lose all higher brain function because they'll be arguing over, you know, <laughs> this data or that or who's – and it becomes a power struggle rather than a, a deliberate conversation. And, and I think of what is the opposite of zombie data. And to your point, maybe it's humane data. It's one that's mm. been humanized. And is connected to the human. Uh, you know, there's this old uh, meme. I don't know if this is true or not. That there were traditional cultures that didn't want you to take a photograph for fear that it would steal your soul. Oh, mm -hmm. I, encountered I, know that, I encountered that a year ago. I, really? I was yes. I was uh, walking in the park and uh, I was confronted with this very fierce pit bull who had who wasn't on a leash. And I'm like, whoa! So I stop, and then this. A very uh, polite um, um, woman walks around the corner with her son, and she says, "Oh, he won't hurt you." She was—I think she was Japanese. I mean, not not you know, ethnically, but but she was from Japan. I could tell by her accent. And I said, "You know, you're not supposed to do this. This is a public park. You can't let your your pit bull run loose." And she says, "It's oh, it's okay." I said, "No, no." And I was very I was very nice. So I took I took a photo of the dog with her son, and she said to me, "She said, no, sir, please, you must delete that photo. That's my son.'" That's my son. And I realized mm. she honestly felt I was taking something, um, uh, you know, t totally inappropriately. And, yeah. and so, I, I mean, and, and, I, and I realized it and I said, okay, yeah, I'm not trying to steal your son. You know, I, I just, you know, I just want to have this in case, you know, there's a report that, that, that somebody's been attacked and, and I want to have evidence that you've let your dog run loose. And, and so, you know, we tried to, Kind of you know rationalize with one another and, and we didn't get very far because i had i had stepped into a realm of um a violation that that she simply you know, she couldn't tolerate it it, it was i mean we, we just and, you know, you know, at some point we just parted it, it, but yeah it's fascinating because in some sense she's right you are saying you know hey i need to have a piece of you that i have some power over because that's i exactly right you will do something careless that will damage us that's exactly right yeah, and this idea that uh, like digitizing someone, assigning something a number or a data, you really are, uh, I guess the more uh, potent version of this is the idea of name, right? Many cultures have the idea of a secret name or demons that you can, if you know their name, you can control them. And there's something very profound in there that when you get to name something, you are um, asserting control over it. Have you read Have you read A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel uh, Marquez? No. Fascinating book from from the from the seventies, Nobel Prize winner. It's about a, a small town in Colombia in the nineteenth century, and in this village, everyone forgets the names for everything, and then they have to reconstruct the names for everything. And it's wow. really, it's it's a metaphor for political repression. But it's it's a it's just on that theme alone. The hundred years of solitude is worth worth. All right, reading. I will take that as my homework assignment. And, uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful book. I will, beautiful book. Uh, I will um, 
I got to break this off for another data conversation in two minutes. But thank you so much for joining us, David. You added a lot. Congratulations for I, persevering on the Zigzag project, uh, Ernest. I, I'd love, I'd love to join again. Mm. This is great. And by the way, I put a name in the uh, in the chat of somebody who talks about what Ernest was saying about you know mindless mindless use of data. Uh, this guy named mm -hmm. Andre Karpathy talks about that very thing. All right, okay. um, guys. Okay. Good yeah. seeing you. So we'll try and good we'll, see we'll you, David. This Friday at uh, nine o'clock, God willing. I'd, I'd uh, love to join. I'm off this whole week. Yeah, I'd love to join all right. again. Thanks. Awesome. Great. Bye -bye. Talk to you all then. Bye. Bye, David. Bye, Ernest. Bye, Ernest.